as people are gathering and, and coming in, man, it is nice to have a little extra unseasonably warm weather, is it not? Man, this is, this is great. This is a little bit like California, so it's, it, thank you for that. This keeps going, right? Is that, this is, right? Okay, good. Thank you for letting me live in that illusion a little bit for a moment. Um, well, it's, it's good to see all of you uh, as people are coming in. I want to welcome you, uh, those who are visiting with us and those who are with us every week. My name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here on behalf of the, the congregation, uh, our leadership, and our staff. Welcome. So glad that you could be with us today. When we worship, we do so using <clears throat> words that we will sing and say together on the screens and also printed in our bulletin just so everybody knows how, uh, how things are going to flow together this morning. There's also a number of important updates about things happening in the life of our church in the bulletin. Please take a moment to look that over uh, to find out what's going on. And in particular, I want to highlight one of those things for you, which is on this green insert, which you may have either seen in your mailbox or there's extra copies if you don't have a mailbox in the foyer. But this is for the, um, the annual cadets uh, Christmas tree and wreath and poinsettia fundraiser, uh, which is starting now. So this is, this is your form in order to uh, get yourself a Christmas tree um, or a, uh, a wreath or a poinsettia or, do you say poinsettia or do you say poinsettia? It's like poinsettia. Okay, good. I thought I was, it's like pop or coke. You just, you never know. It's very important to get that right. Um, anyway, so uh, this is your order form for this year. These are open. We're receiving, taking orders until the end of November. Uh, so please do take a look at this and figure out how you'd like to decorate your home. Okay, that being said, the only other thing I want to highlight for you is we've been inviting you into some new vision and mission and values language as a congregation. Leadership teams have been meeting for almost a year, actually, to think about our future as a church. And we introduced some of that a few weeks ago. We have more for you today, some more detail. And I want to invite two of my friends to come up who are going to tell us a little bit about that, uh, Sue Cooper and Brett Buma. Good morning, everyone. Uh, so we want to give you a little bit of an update on, on some things that the, uh, the council has been doing and by extension, a vision team that was set up by the council. And uh, the thing we're going to cover today is a little bit on our mission statement. So early in, in 2022, the elders uh, started did some, doing some brainstorming about our church, uh, what was going well, uh, what was maybe not going well, things that we were doing, things that we should be doing. And, you know, we, we were coming out of a of pandemic, uh, time of transition, and we were just doing a lot of reflecting on, on the church, and uh, that led us to put together a, a small team of, of elders along with Matthew to, um, you know, really start to discuss how the church can better meet the spiritual needs of our congregation moving forward. And we talked a lot about, you know, what Pleasant Street means to us, um, and, you uh, that kind of got the ball rolling, so to speak. And one of the goals that this team laid out was to put together a mission statement. And, you know, most organizations have a mission statement. It's a summary of the organization's goals and values. Uh, it can help explain what you, uh, what you do, what you want to be known for as an organization. And uh, it really can help guide the staff and leadership in their decision-making. And uh, it also lets the whole organization, in this case the church, know what we think is important. 
So in May, the council uh, put together a, a, a vision team, and that consisted of Pastor Matthew, uh, elders uh, Sue Cooper and Emily Fordna and me, and Deacon Kate Mogan, and along with uh, Dave Ryder and uh, Jonathan Steele and Chris Eplett. This formed the team. And uh, kind of to kick things off, we invited Reverend Mark Nellison from um, Georgetown CRC in Hudsonville, Michigan, to come out for a Saturday to spend some time to help us to get this process going. And, um, you know, we discussed the fact that, you know, there's a lot of good things going on at Pleasant Street. We have a rich history. Um, we also recognize that, that some people don't, uh, who may be attending here, members here, don't always feel connected. Uh, we wanted to find ways for people to get connected, get reconnected coming, uh, coming out of COVID. Uh, so these are the things that we, that we talked about, how to, you know, kind of meet the needs of uh, the congregation. But one of those early tasks was the mission statement, and uh, we spent a fair amount of time working on that. Uh, and Sue's going to talk about that. Good morning. As the vision team looked at research, scripture, read articles, listened to what the congregation was saying, and prayed together, it became clear that Pleasant Street Church has emerged from the pandemic years a different church than what it was pre-pandemic. Some of those changes are, some people have become comfortable with church at home or no church at all and have found it hard to attend Sunday uh, morning worship in person. Uh, many people felt isolated during uh, the COVID times and now find themselves reluctant or unsure how to reconnect with their church communities. Uh, some folks have more anxiety when in large groups of people than they did before the pandemic. And this all adds up to a feeling of discon uh, disconnect uh, with the local church community. And I think we're seeing that quite a bit. Besides these post-pandemic changes, other things were happening within church culture and in the wider culture. Two items of note. Within the church, we have become used to letting the ministry of the church be done by the paid help and are not as actively involved in ministry. And within the wider culture, many folks find it difficult to make a long-term commitment to anything, let alone to church. They, we always want to keep our options open. So given these trends of the post-pandemic church, the vision team asked, what does Pleasant Street Church need to be doing to minister to both the congregation inside the church and the community around us? How do we meet the great commission that Jesus gave the disciples before he ascended? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And how do we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself? Those were the questions we pondered. Gradually, we were led to these three main points, experience Christ's love, receive Christ's word, and live Christ's life. Those are the three points of our mission statement. Experience Christ's love is all about hospitality and caring. Pleasant Street is a church that approaches a skeptical world with the kindness of God as opposed to judgment or hostility. 
we joyfully welcome all as Jesus welcomes us. We believe each person is created in the image of God, and therefore we treat each other with love, patience, respect, and care. We provide support and compassion in times of need and celebrate together in the joys of God's blessings. That's uh, experience Christ's love. Uh, receive Christ's word is all about God's solution to humankind's sin. Pleasant Street Church has a compelling story to tell. We want to share the good news of hope, of salvation with the community. We believe our world belongs to God. We are created in his image, but we are all sinners. The good news of the gospel is that by God's grace, we are saved through faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in the Bible as God's inspired word, and we look to the scriptures to learn God's direction for our lives. That's uh, receive Christ's word. And then live Christ's life is all about growing and serving to be more like Christ. Pleasant Street Church is a community of people who joyfully approach each other and the world with a new heart that God gives, and we look to use our time, talents, and treasure to nurture others and glorify God. Life is rich when we praise and worship God in all aspects of our lives and bring healing and hope to a broken world. We grow in our love and faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior through prayer, giving thanks, reading the Bible, and we are learning to serve one another out of the experience of having been served by Jesus. These three main points, experience Christ's love, receive Christ's word, and live Christ's life are our priorities in the coming years as we live out the Great Commission in a post-Christian world that desperately needs Jesus. It is the council's hope that this mission statement will be a guide to the church as decisions are made concerning ministry, staffing, and future direction of the church. Uh, thank you. So this is one of the things that the vision team's been working on um, as an adjunct to council. Again, all this stuff gets approved by council. Uh, there's other things that we've been doing, and we will, we will be sharing that at the congregational meeting in December. So I'll give a little plug for that. Uh, another reason to come out, if you already didn't have a great reason. So um, uh, we'll be sharing more of that at the congregational meeting. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I invite you now to rise and body our spirit as we continue and begin our worship. Save us, whoever believes. 
Majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the, avenge, uh, the avenger. Lord, how majestic is your name. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Lord, how majestic is your name. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You have put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and all the animals of the wild, the birds in the skies and the fish in the seas, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You may be seated. Our Father, forgive us for thinking small thoughts of you and for ignoring your immensity and greatness. Lord Jesus, forgive us when we forget that you rule the nations and our small lives. Holy Spirit, we offend you in minimizing your power and squandering your gifts. Our triune God, we confess that our blindness to you has resulted in shallow confession. Have mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now join me in a silent confession.
friends, in the presence of God, receive God's words of forgiveness. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by the grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that we, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness for us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. Amen. I'd now like to invite the deacons to come up for our morning offerings. So we're going to be passing the baskets around, and you can um, give in the baskets or in our bulletin. There's a QR code, or if you're online, you can, you can give online. Let me just pray for our offering. God of heaven and earth, we are blessed for the many ways that we can worship you. We together, through your singing songs and hymns together, we worship you through our prayers and our praises. We can worship you as we do the work with our hands. We worship you through our giving and our tithes and offerings with gladness and adoration. Amen.
Friends, the peace of Christ is with you. And also with you. Now let's take a moment to just spread the peace of Christ with each other. Sorry, you can rise again. <laughs> can I have all the Kid Street kids come up here? People of God, what is our prayer? peace to love and serve Jesus. Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Brett Buma, one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and it's my privilege to uh, lead us in prayer this morning. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for this glorious day, and we worship you for who you are and all that you've done for us. You are creator of heaven and earth and all that there is. Yet you are mindful of us. You know us by name. In your mercy and grace, you have redeemed us by the blood of your own Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Help us to live each day in the knowledge and gratitude for your gift of salvation. Heavenly Father, we gather here together to worship you. In Holy Spirit, we pray that you will fill this place with your presence and fill our hearts so that we may be more like Jesus. You call us to be a praying people and hear the prayers that we bring to you now. Lord, we thank you that we live in a representative democracy where we can vote for our leaders as we will do this Tuesday. We recognize this as a blessing, and we know that many people do not live in such countries. We pray for our elected and appointed leaders that they will govern well. We know that authorities that exist have been established by you. We pray that you will give leaders wisdom in the decision-making and that they will look to you for guidance. In our differences, help us to treat each other with love, patience, respect, and care. And we pray that we will live in peace and that there will be peace throughout the world. We also pray for Zachary King, the General Secretary of the CRC. Help him to discern your will as he leads our denomination. We pray for Pastor Matthew, who shepherds our church, and for the council who leads it. Grant them the wisdom and humility needed for this work. Lord, today we pray for your persecuted church around the world. We live in a broken world, and there are many places where people who confess the name of Christ are oppressed, tortured, or murdered. When declaring yourself to be a Christian, you can put your livelihood or your very life in peril. Protect and strengthen those who are persecuted for your name. Fill them with your spirit so that they may persevere. May the church continue to grow in these places despite the evil that exists. We thank you that we can freely worship you here, and we pray that we will never take this for granted. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask a blessing for those within our church who are struggling with health issues. Uh, we pray to you that Stu and Deb V, as they recover from COVID, and we ask that they will return to full health soon. Lord, we thank you that Hank E has returned from home from a stay in the hospital. And you'll pray that you will be with him and Bev as they deal with health issues and are unable to worship with us here. 
We pray that you will give strength of body and spirit to Karen S. and Cindy H. And uh, we pray especially for Cindy, who is in the hospital at this time. Pray that you will be with her and those who care for her. And we pray for uh, the daughter of Carol L., her daughter Tracy, and also her sister-in-law who have COVID. And uh, as these are people that care for Carol, we pray that you will um, return them to health and strength and uh, be with Carol as well and, and protect her. And we ask a, uh, a blessing on the family of, of Sam Zelstra, who, who passed away recently, Lord. pray that you will uh, surround them with your love and care and comfort them uh, as they mourn the passing of Sam. Father, we ask that you will be with those who would so much love to be worshiping here with us but cannot due to health issues or old age. We pray that you will bless them. We thank you for the caregivers who care for them on a daily basis and for all those who visit them. We pray that we will not forget them. And we pray for all of those who are struggling with illnesses, Lord, be they physical or mental. Be with those who struggle in pain or depression, anxiety or loneliness. And for those who recently lost loved ones and friends, Lord, bless and strengthen them and grant them the peace that passes all understanding. Father, we also thank you that Nellie D. will be celebrating her 97th birthday tomorrow. And we thank you for the witness that she has been throughout her life. Living God, we thank you for your word. Spirit, we pray that you'll be on Pastor Matthew as he brings your word to us this morning. Give us open minds and hearts to hear what you speak through him. Father, set our minds upon Jesus. Help us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Our reading this morning are very familiar words to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with selected verses and also for the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, These words are very meaningful to my wife and I. When asked how long I've been married, I say it's 60 years. And people say, what is your secret? And I reflect on the words that you're going to hear this morning. First from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. But we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping and guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak of tongues, in tongues, and all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent 
way. And then chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boastful but not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what it is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked as a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, welcome to Pleasant Street. You're joining us in the middle of a series. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians together um, since September, and we continue that today. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, when we gather in this place, we do so at your call, and we do so looking for your name and your story. And we have come now to these words that Paul wrote to a church a long time ago. They are Paul's words, written to a congregation in Corinth, but by your Spirit they are also your words, written through Paul to us. And so we ask now that you would come by your Holy Spirit, and that you would take these words and that you would bring them to life, that we might know that they are good news for us too. We pray this in your name. Amen. Jack mentioned it, but I don't know about you, but when I hear 1 Corinthians 13, I kind of instinctively look around for the bride and the groom. <laughs> There's a good reason why 1 Corinthians 13 uh, is invited to so many weddings. Right? It soars. It sounds like a hymn to love, and that makes it fitting for a soaring occasion like a wedding day. The trouble, though, with this chapter in 1 Corinthians is that it's not actually a hymn to love in general. It's a description of love for a particular congregation, 
1 Corinthians 13 is embedded in this letter that we have been looking at uh, for the last couple of months. And, and Paul, as we know, is not so much describing what they do well, but what they don't. If you've been with us for even one of these sermons, you will know that the Corinthians are less the loving congregation and more the clanging symbol. It reminded me, in fact, of a story about a clanging symbol, a story about Charlie Parker, uh, who is an incredibly gifted jazz musician who was better known by his nickname, The Bird. You see, before Charlie Parker became Charlie Parker or The Bird, he was just a high school dropout, nothing but raw talent and a saxophone. Well, one night, as the story goes, he had a chance to play at a, at a club in Kansas City with Count Basie's renowned drummer, Papa Joe Jones. And the story goes that Parker took the stage, he was invited up to play some tunes with Count Basie's band, uh, but when it was his turn to take a solo, the pressure was too much, and uh, he flubbed it. He, he dropped the tune. So Papa Joe Jones is so furious at this kid for wrecking the songs that he stops playing. Right? If the drummer stops, everybody stops. And he stood up, and he picked up a cymbal, and he hurls it across the stage at Charlie Parker, and it lands with a tremendous crash at his feet. What happens next is that Parker leaves the stage humiliated while the audience laughs at him. But that's not the end of the story. You see, as the story goes, that moment, right, when Jones throws a symbol at him because he's mediocre, because he's not good enough, because he's not working hard enough, it forces Parker into a kind of desperation to work harder, to be better, to be perfect. Like a phoenix rising from the ashes, the story goes, that is the event that turns Charlie Parker into the bird. The man with unparalleled gifts and talents on the saxophone. Now, whenever I hear a jazz musician tell me that story, it's always with this kind of reverence and awe over what Jones did. Like, it's okay that, Charlie, uh, that Jones threw a crash symbol at Charlie Parker, scaring him to death and embarrassing him off the stage because, well, well because Charlie Parker was so gifted. Jones threw a simple and he, symbol and he made the bird, and that is true. But the part of the story that we leave out is also that that was a terribly unkind, impatient, selfish, and demeaning thing to do. Why is it that so often gifted and talented people seem to get a free pass for being awful? It happens all the time. Whether it's an athlete or an artist, a public intellectual or a politician, whenever a gifted person's life is a mess, we tend to just call it eccentricity. We fixate on the gifts that make for great art or culture or great athletic plays, phenomenal performances, stirring speeches that tell us all the things that we want to hear. And if you have to chuck a symbol every so often, or if you are given to fits of artistic rage, if it makes you hard to live with, well, that's okay because you're so gifted. 
somehow that's supposed to make it okay. It turns out that Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is writing to a group of extraordinarily talented and gifted people. A church full of talented and spiritually gifted people, and a church that has fixated on the performance of those gifts. Remember with me for a moment that Corinth, uh, the city where these Christians live, this is an important merchant and trade center. And because of its wealth, it's also a place known for its art and for its culture. It is a city with uh, also a massive stadium complex in it where they host the second largest sporting event in the ancient world, the Ismithian Games. So you have famous world-class athletes coming from all over the world to play there. And the church in Corinth was, like its city, a place full of gifted and talented people. It was a church full of people who, who at one time, many of them used to be slaves, but they had worked in this new city to make a name for themselves, right? It was a church of disciplined and highly motivated independent people, and as Paul told us back in chapter 1, it was a church full of every kind of spiritual gift that the Spirit Himself has to give. They have it all there. This is a congregation known for striving to be more and more excellent, to have more and more manifestations of the spiritual gifts, to want to probe more deeply the mysteries of the faith. And based on what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3, they've come pretty far. Apparently, they have some incredibly gifted preachers in their rotation who could speak with the tongues of men and angels. They had people with the gifts of prophecy who could fathom deep mysteries in the Scripture. They had some dramatic spiritual gifts as well, the gifts of tongue and healing. Not only are they gifted, though, they're also extremely generous and moral, even self-sacrificing people. They have people of great faith who are willing to risk life and limb on the simple belief that Jesus and not Caesar is Lord. And some of them are apparently giving to the poor so generously that it's impacting their lifestyle. Others may have even been sacrificing their bodies, perhaps even entering voluntary slavery in order to provide for people who are in prison. With so much gifted ministry happening there, it's not hard to imagine that the church in Corinth was successful, it was productive, it was maybe even growing. But the church in Corinth is also a mess. They have begun, Paul is telling us, to rank each other based on which talents and gifts and how much public spiritual vibrancy each person is manifesting. They have all the gifts, but not every gift is apparently the same. Tongues, the ability to pray in mysterious spiritual language, has apparently become the most special and important to them. We're going to talk more about gifts and worship next week, but suffice it to say that the Corinthians seem to have gone in for the most eye-catching, the most impressive, the most personally gratifying of the gifts that the Spirit has to give. Why? Because it gives you the most status. 
So Paul has to remind them in chapter 12 that they are not a group of individual performance artists all showing off for each other and for God. They are a body of people who are all very different from each other and very differently gifted from each other and who desperately need each other. Paul reminds them which gifts are best. And tongues is at the bottom of the list. Now, if you know Paul's letters, you know that Paul is really big on gifts. He's big on faith and prophecy especially. And those are the gifts that the church in Corinth seems to have in spades. And we should also note that where there are spiritual gifts, there is God at work. Surely God is present in their church and using them, right? But the really astounding thing to me about all of this when I read 1 Corinthians 13 is that Paul is not actually patting them on the back. Instead, he is saying that their skillful preaching and singing, it's become empty noise. That all the gifts of prophecy and faith do not in fact make them significant people. That all the self-denial in the world, it means nothing without love. Nothing. Really, Paul? That word? Nothing. Yeah, it's there over and over again. Without love, they have nothing. Without love, they gain nothing. Without love, they are nothing. The problem with the Corinthians is not that they're gifted and talented. On the stage of public life, they gave an excellent performance of moral faith. But behind the scenes, They are just as impatient, unkind, envious, jealous, self-promoting, irascible, vindictive, suspicious, strong-willed, and resentful as everybody else in their city. And Paul is saying that because of this, your gifts, your panoply of spiritual gifts is nothing but feedback in a microphone. It's a clanging cymbal. Fun fact, did you know that Corinth was known for making symbols? I found that interesting. Moreover, Corinth had these cultural and religious rituals that used gongs and symbols in their worship processions. So do you see the image that Paul is setting before us? Without love, this gifted and talented church is just another popular pagan act on a city stage. Boy, if that doesn't come as a shock to the gifted and talented. Boy, if that doesn't just pull the rug out from under the self-declared spiritual elite. Paul pens this beautiful praise song to love, but, but this is not a preacher waxing poetic about love like at Meghan and Harry's royal wedding. No. No, as one commentator observed, Paul's list of things that love does and does not do are aimed at the special faults of the Corinthians. Ironically, Paul is praising love while simultaneously blaming the Corinthians at the same time. The gifts of the Spirit are conspicuous in their congregation. Their lack of love is even more conspicuous. Paul's claim, right, if we are finally understanding what he is saying 
it leaves us with an astounding and I think also terrifying realization. You can be a moral person. You can be a gifted person. You can be a spiritual person without having a changed heart. Paul is saying that you can go to church every week, you can be courageous with your faith at work, you can be sacrificially generous, you can be a mighty advocate for social justice, you can be a prayer warrior par excellence, a brilliant writer and speaker of spiritual reality, and deeply impatient, irascible, and narcissistic. And in that case, your gifts and your moral performance mean nothing. Really, Paul? Nothing? Nothing? My friends, please don't let the familiarity of this text blunt the shocking severity of what Paul is asking all of us to consider. We mistake gifts for the grace of a changed life, and they're not the same thing. How can Paul say this, though? Well, read on a little bit, right? You get to verse 8, Paul says, prophecies will cease. Tongues one day will be stilled. Knowledge will pass away. In other words, gifts are great, but they're temporary. And when the kingdom of God comes in all of its glory, the only things that will remain are the things that have been done in love, quiet and small as they may have been. Then, then we will finally see that even our most excellent efforts were only ever child's play. So Paul says, don't confuse spiritual gifts and moral performance with a changed heart, with a changed life. My friends, what this means for us here all these many, many, many years later in a different culture speaking different languages is that we too are in trouble because we have gotten so used to saying that gifts and character have nothing to do with each other that we have forgotten how deeply intertwined, according to Paul, according to Jesus, according to Christianity, our external moral life is with our internal awareness of God. To put it differently, I think Paul's words here reveal to us that there are maybe just two ways to behave in the world. Either everything that we do spills out of us like an overflow of love from fullness and joy, or everything that we do is pulled out of us as though from a vacuum. When we use and give and use our gifts as an overflow of love, we are able to give without needing recognition. We are able to give freely without someone needing to be worthy of our gifts. And we are able to do all of it without needing to assess the greatness or the smallness of our actions. It doesn't matter because there's more than enough and it just spills over. But when we act out of a vacuum, everything, no matter how generous or kind or self-sacrificing it seems, it's actually really about drawing recognition and affirmation and ultimately love back into a giant hole within us. We give to another, but only in order to draw some of them back into us so that we feel a little less empty. 
You see, when, we, when it comes as though out of a vacuum, the greatness of the generosity or the kindness doesn't make it better. It actually makes it worse. Because the larger our act and our gift, the much harder we have to work to pull it out of this vacuum, and therefore the much more greatly we need it to come back to us. And what happens is that our gift and our generosity and our acts of self-denial will always look bigger to us than they will to everyone else. And in that way, no matter what words anyone ever uses, we'll never be enough. And this is why we are envious when others get the credit for things that we did. This is why somehow we find ourselves always telling stories that make ourselves the hero. This is why we have to subtly cut because that's the only way we can stand a little higher. It's why even a sli every slight against us has to go into this kind of permanent record file. And it's why even when we forgive people, we find ourselves needing to keep a record of how many times we've done that. And Jesus, to his disciples a long time ago, when they asked him, how many times, Lord, he said, you have not yet understood. It's the wrong question. What happens is eventually the vacuum becomes so strong that either we implode or we manage to suck everyone else in. David Garland, who wrote a wonderful commentary on 1 Corinthians, he describes it like this. He says, each thing that Paul describes as a verb in 1 Corinthians 13, each of these actions that love does, they are done free of ego. And each of the things that Paul lists that love does not do is full of ego. So, but here's the thing, my friends. You can't always tell from the outside which one it is. But your family knows, and so do you. We know when our actions are coming from a full, overflowing life with God. And we know when it's coming from its absence which I think is part of the reason why we wind up excusing gifted people for being intolerable. Because we secretly kind of hope that it's the performance that matters. Because we think that the gifts and the proficiency and the moral excellence, maybe those are the things that could get us close to God too. Or perhaps better put, having gifts and being generous will prove to us once and for all that we are close to God, that we are loved by God. We play to the audience. We give ourselves a starring role to garner applause and approval and likes, not knowing that we're really aiming for God's applause and approval and likes. We want so desperately to know that God accepts and loves and approves us. But actually, even beneath that, if you go one level deeper, what we really want is to be loved apart from it all. Which is why I am so thankful 
that Paul reminds all of us that gifts and moral performance are not the things that get us close to God at all. Love does. Love. Receiving and giving love in this dance of self-emptying and looking after each other that Paul calls church. Genuinely receiving and giving love is, Paul is telling us, as close as we can get on this earth to what it's going to be like with God when we see Him face to face. Paul reminds the Corinthians, the church, church is not a stage where we give an excellent moral performance. Church is a school where the gifted and talented learn how to love. Paul writes, I will show you all a more excellent way. It is the way of love. The way of love. Notice with me that this is not the five-year plan to love. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to give you the self-help advice you need to loving your neighbor better in five easy steps. He's not giving us a digestible supplement called instant love, now in vegan gel caps. What he is telling us is that this is a way that you walk in for a long time and step by step in help with your brothers and sisters, eventually you will get a little better at it. Much of 1 Corinthians is, is about what is not love, that's true, but he does wind up saying a little bit about what love is. And now actually come to think of it, have you ever noticed that those famous words there in verse 4 through 7, that, that the way that Paul describes love in these verbs, well, it actually starts to sound a little bit like a person, doesn't it? Friends, when Paul tells us what love is, he does it by describing a person. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love seeks the good of others, even enemies at its own expense. Love is not threatened by another person's success. Love does not need to be the center of the story or the stage or the picture. Love is not irritable. Love loves the truth. Love bears, believes, hopes, endures. Most of those words are only ever used in the Bible to describe God. God is the one who is the subject of those verbs, my friends. Paul is using divine characteristics to describe a person, a person with a full life who was self-secure and hope-filled and passionate and disciplined and kind and generous, a person who always managed to have time for children, no matter how inconvenient, and who was zealous for justice who turned the other cheek when insulted, and who would not tolerate evil, but who always rejoiced in the name and the glory of God. It's almost as though Paul is describing a situation in which patience and humility, God's very attributes, have put on flesh and walked among us. Oh, wait. It's as though Paul is describing a real person and not an ideal and you get the sense that it is a person who Paul seems to know. And one that Paul seems to assume the Corinthians know too. This person who is both somehow God and human. 
who shows us kindness, who is not too proud to associate even with the likes of us, who dishonors himself in order to look at us and lift us up, a man who had everything but didn't use that to his advantage but rather chose to seek us by emptying himself. A Jewish rabbi who healed a Syrophoenician woman and a Roman centurion. My goodness, think of that. A prophet who was mighty in power, who persevered in love for us even though it meant his own death on a cross. Turns out we know that person too. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, love in the flesh. The one who lays down his life for his friends and who shows us the way to do the same. Love bears all things, Paul sings. Believes all things, hopes all things. Love never fails. My friends, Jesus' love bears all our sins. Jesus' love can be believed even in the depths of our despair. Jesus' love makes hope out of a tomb. Jesus' love will endure to the end of the ages. Because what is coming in the future, my friends, is God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is not a place where we will all need to perform flawlessly for the king. God's kingdom is where we will see God face to face. And that means the church is now the place where we are learning to dress and act for the future. Where all those gifted by the Holy Spirit are learning to act and dress in the ways of love. That way, when the perfect comes, when we see God face to face, we will know that it's not time for a show, but an embrace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, love in the flesh. The life that you have given us and called us to leave begins with you calling our name. It begins with you helping us to see all of the ways that we have failed you, disowned you, turned away and aside, taken credit for what you have done and what you've given us. And hearing again, those beautiful words, you are already forgiven. Help us, Lord, to hear that we are already forgiven. And if forgiven, then surely seen. And if seen, then known. And if known, then loved. And Lord Jesus, help this to be the starting place for stepping out of this place in the path that you have carved for us. In your name, amen. As a congregation, as you heard at the start of this service, we are a community of people open-handed who are 
who are trying to receive God's Word, His story, His life, and His good news. And part of the way that we make sense of that is by taking opportunities to reflect on what we are receiving together. And I want to invite our third through fifth grade students, our Echo Age students, to come forward because they have a chance to do this now with some of our leaders to talk about what they are noticing and hearing and learning in church with our elders and deacons. Come on up, guys. So to do this, we all have a part to play, actually. These guys out here are going to say some words. I'm going to say some words. And you guys have some words to say, too. Ready? All right. People of God, what is our prayer? Together, almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. This is you. Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. We continue our response to God together by lifting our voices in song. Would you rise in body and spirit? And let's sing.
gathered into this place, we are among a people looking for comfort and security, and the good news is that our tradition has had words about that for the last 500 years. Friends, would you say with me together these words from the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one. I'll ask the question, please respond with the answer. Friends, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Together. Not my own, but the long body life and in death, my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of the Father. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Friends, would you open your hands, lift up your eyes, and receive God's blessing for you? Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Friends, let's go singing.
said you love me and never leave me and I am Go now to love and serve Jesus Christ. Go in peace.